0: Welcome to this edition of Books and Such. Today's guest is Frank Fiola, who, along with George Barna, is the author of the book we're going to be talking about today called Pagan Christianity, Exploring the Roots of Our Church Practices. Before we talk about this very challenging book, I want to introduce my guest. Frank Fiola is an influential leader in the contemporary house church movement. He's a nationally recognized expert on new trends in the church, holds conferences on the deeper Christian life, and is actively involved in planting New Testament-style churches. He's written eight other revolutionary books on radical church restoration and has been involved with organic house churches all over the U.S. for 20 years. Now, I'm talking only with Frank Viola today, but let me say a word about his co-author, George Barna. George Barna is the founder and directing leader of the Barna Group, a research and resource firm in Ventura, California. He's written 39 books and has been called the most quoted person in the Christian church today. Chances are you've heard his research quoted in the news as he's considered a foremost authority on trends in the church and culture. And I also want to mention that some of the questions we'll be discussing on this particular podcast came from a unique source. Before this interview and another longer interview for their virtual book tour teleconference, we conducted a worldwide survey in which more than 650 people participated from all over the world. We had people from uh, Guatemala City and even Zimbabwe, I know at least, wrote in and maybe listened in. So what happened was everyone went to www.askfrankandgeorge.com, and the question there was, What's your question about which common church practices are more pagan than biblical? You can still go to that page and ask your question. And what will happen is Frank continues to answer questions on his website at www.paganchristianity.net. There you can also get one or more copies of the book at a discount. And I do encourage you to get more than one copy, because as you'll see from this conversation, this is a book that raises some very challenging questions, whether you attend a church now or perhaps you never did because some things about it turned you off. Frank's going to tell us about some of the things he sees in the church that are not what God intends to be and how many, if not most, of our church practices come from paganism, not what the Bible says. Jesus Christ intends his church to be. I also want to mention that if you go to askfrankandgeorge.com, you can listen to the replay of that virtual book tour interview, and you'll also be able to get some bonuses, such as the sample chapter, a bonus chapter, and a study guide to the book. All right, Frank, let's get into your book. One of the first things I notice about this is that the title has a question mark, Which is rather unusual for a title. It's Pagan Christianity. So, why the question mark?
1: Well, basically, George and I, along with the publisher, as we were hammering out plans to launch this book, we decided that we wanted the book to create conversation. Consequently, in each chapter, what we do is we tell the story of where a particular accepted church practice came from, we document it historically. And then we discuss what we feel to be the practical and spiritual ramifications. And then we raise questions that readers can answer for themselves. So the book is really designed to provoke thought and raise challenging questions. And that's why we added the question mark. Uh, By the way, you had mentioned George Barna being the most quoted person in the Christian church. Uh, I just want to say this (laughs) to your listeners after reading some of the reviews on the book, I think he needs to change his bio-line to say, George Barna is the most misquoted person in the Christian church today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that does happen, doesn't it? Uh, uh, (laughs) Absolutely. uh, You know, one of my pet peeves, is when people sort of blast a book and and say all these things about it, and they haven't even read it. (laughs) You can tell that.
1: Well, yes. I am told that 33% of the reviews on this book are by people who have never read it. And uh, we we find that rather amusing, actually.
0: Yeah, really. Oh, well. Well, what do you mean by pagan? That was one of the questions that was asked um, on that worldwide survey.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It really is, because this is somewhat of a clay word. Uh, You can mold and shape it the way you wish, and uh, you'll come out with a different definition. Basically, we're using the word pagan throughout the book to describe those practices and principles that are not Christian or biblical in origin. In some cases, we are using it to refer to the people who followed the gods of the Roman Empire but we never use the word as a synonym for bad, evil, sinful, or wrong. Consequently, a pagan practice or mindset is a practice or mode of thinking that has been adopted from the church's surrounding culture. And one of the points we make repeatedly in the book is that we believe some pagan practices are neutral, and therefore they can be redeemed for the Lord's glory, Uh, but we also feel that others stand in direct conflict with the teachings of Jesus and the apostles, and therefore, in our judgment, they cannot be redeemed. They need to be or should be discarded. Uh, And a central argument of the book is that history testifies that pagan ideas and practices have actually redefined the church of the living God.
0: Mm -hmm. And one of the um, distinctive marks of Protestants is that there's many, many denominations. You have Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and all kinds of other groups, um, and it, it can really confuse a person. So where do all these denominations come from, and is having all these different groups a pagan practice?
1: Well, I'm not sure I would call denominationalism a pagan practice in the sense that, uh, well, in the sense that some people view paganism, uh, but I would call it pagan in the sense it's non-Christian, and it's not compatible with Christianity. Right now we have 33,000, over 33,000 Protestant denominations on the earth today. Uh, Just let that settle for a few minutes. (laughs) (laughs) And they are the result of Christians dividing from one another on doctrines, practices, methods throughout history. I think you can find the seeds of denominationalism in 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 3. Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, and some were saying, I'm of Peter. Others were saying, I'm of Paul. Others were saying, I'm of Barnabas. And to me, that's not dissimilar to saying, I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Lutheran, or I'm a Calvinist. And Paul's response was very sharp. He said, this is carnal, this is fleshly, this is divisive, this is sinful, Jesus prayed for the unity of his people in John 17, and uh, I think one question we ought to ask ourselves is, is denominationalism, has it made division in the body of Christ acceptable? But that's another topic altogether.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I'd like to uh, thank two of my sponsors of this podcast um, before we go on to some more questions. Um, and, And these two sponsors have some related goals. The first is a really unique service that I, as a book publishing professional, am really excited about. It's a website called BookHabit.com, and its aim is to foster our shared love of books and support the creative process. For readers, BookHabit.com offers new and different experiences, and for writers, they encourage your writing and help you get your work published and discovered. They provide this wonderful interaction among the dynamic community of readers and writers. And they also provide feedback from the public for aspiring authors that could lead to a publishing contract. If you can show a publisher that you have an audience who loves your book, it will be much easier to get a publisher interested in you. So if you love to read or if you're an aspiring author, do check out www.bookhabit.com. Think about it. Whom am I interviewing right now? An author. Being an author establishes your credibility like nothing else. And the writing coaches at BoostYourBusinessWithABook.com will show you how you can write a publishable book within 12 months, fitting it into your busy schedule. They'll even show you how to start making money from your book and leveraging your expertise before your book is even finished or published. So when you go to www.boostyourbusinesswithabook.com, you can instantly download a free report on 14 Ways a Book Will Boost Your Business. So go ahead, visit www.boostyourbusinesswithabook.com and get your free report on 14 Ways a Book Will Boost Your Business or Career. Speaking of having a book boost your business, Frank, Pagan Christianity must have been a great boost for you because you really have done your homework here. There's 209, I believe, footnotes in chapter 5 alone documenting mm. the role of the pastor, and you have hundreds of books mentioned in the bibliography. How many exactly do you remember?
1: Oh, I think there's around a thousand or more. Oh my goodness.
0: How long did it take you to do all this research?
1: It took me 5 long years. Mm. And uh I'm so glad it's over.
0: <laughs> it was It was a difficult task. And as I understand it, it was your research on the original edition, um, which, again, you self-published, that drew the attention of George Barna, wasn't it?
1: Yes, absolutely. I got a call from George Barna. uh, This is several years ago. When he called me, quite frankly, I I thought I was hallucinating (laughs) because he told me that he read the book and wanted to publish it. He wanted to see it uh, get a wider audience. So apparently one of my two book fans told George about the book, and uh, he said in a recent interview, which you did, Diane, Mm -hmm. uh, where he told the story of of how this happened, he basically said that he felt the book was so important that it needed to get into a wider audience. And so consequently uh, he contacted Tyndale, and that's how the ball started to roll. And uh, it was really great working with him because I tell you, He is one of the foremost researchers on the scene today. And uh, he added a lot of strength, a lot of new research. Uh, He made the book stronger. And so I'm I'm very thankful for his part in it.
0: Yeah, it's wonderful. that, And I remember him saying that he was so excited when he read your book because he thought he was going to have to do all that kind of research. He was sort of on the same track with you know, thinking about the church in similar ways and, uh, you know, thought he was going to have to kind of do all this research. And somebody said, oh, have you read Frank Viola's book? He said, no, and he got it. And he was like, oh, my goodness, now this is great. Frank did all this research and now I don't have to do it. And so (laughs) I remember he was very excited. Uh, He said he was very excited when he found your book. And and so that's wonderful. And, you know, just just an example of, uh, I think, maybe God, Being behind this whole thing, you know. Mm. Um, I I just sense, as I was reading the book, uh, and and the response we got to that worldwide survey and everything is just people are hungry for a more authentic experience of the church. Absolutely. And absolutely. uh, And I think you know you're you're a part of that. You and George, and now maybe I am too through bringing this to people's attention oh no
1: question about it
0: so um and you know as i mentioned you do have a lot of footnotes you document what you say and that's very key i think because um you know this is not just something you're spewing about your own opinion you know right. you, you have looked at the history and you have made us think about things that i think most of us haven't even thought about you know i never thought to the question for instance, the role of the pastor, you have two hundred and nine footnotes documenting um the history of the role of the pastor, mm. and I think that's very key because just about every Christian church has a dominant pastor or priest or leader of some kind, and so you know is that not what the Bible teaches?
1: <laughs> I really can get hung for this one. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can pitch our tent here for the rest of the interview. But I'll I'll try to keep this short. The short answer to the question is no. The modern pastoral office and the modern office of priest, as we know it, cannot be supported by the New Testament. And I think I just heard a large number of computers turn off just now. (laughs) Uh, If you're still listening and you haven't fainted dead away, stay with me the longest chapter in the book is dedicated to tracing the origin of the modern pastor office. And let me summarize it in three points. First, we argue that there was a ministry in the new Testament that's depicted by the metaphor of a shepherd. But what a shepherd was in the new Testament is a light years away from the modern pastoral office. And we compare the two in great detail in the book. Second, we show that the New Testament knows nothing of and actually teaches against the idea that the church can be divided up into a professional clergy and a volunteer laity. Consequently, the clergy-laity division developed during the 2nd and 4th centuries, and it was picked up from the Greco-Roman pagans and brought straight into the church, baptized, wrapped in swaddling clothes and passed off as Christian, and we document the entire story step by step in the book. And we also quote from many evangelical scholars on this point to buttress our arguments. Uh, Some of them are James D.G. Dunn, Howard Snyder, John Howard Yoder, John Zenz, Karl Barth. I'll quote uh, two of them right now. Karl Barth, the term laity is one of the worst in the vocabulary of religion and ought to be banished from the Christian conversation. James D.G. Dunn, the clergy laity tradition has done more to undermine New Testament authority than most heresies. And this goes on and on, and then we give the documentation, Diane, of where it all came from. And then the third point we make is that the New Testament knows nothing of a person who stands at the helm of a church, directs its affairs, preaches to it every Sunday, conducts its baptisms, represents it in the world, officiates its communion, marries the living, and buries the dead. No such person exists in the entire New Testament. You can take your Bible, you can turn it upside down, you can shake it really hard, (laughs) and that person will not fall out of there. Uh, He's just not in the New Testament. He was an invention during the Reformation. And uh, we have had the modern pastor since that time, and his antecedents are found in the Roman Catholic bishop. And that was a development after the apostles as well. Now, if you doubt all this, I'd like to challenge anybody to go into the New Testament and find a person who fits the description that I just read. And if you can find that person, George Barna will give you $10,000
0: whoa
1: <laughs> sorry George I can <laughs> say that because I am absolutely certain that no one can find such a person in the New Testament that fits that description
0: <laughs> oh wow well that's pretty radical uh, which again is why I strongly urge anyone listening to go to net and get not only one but two or more copies so you can study this with other people and um, read the other resources that the authors make available there. Someone who wrote in when we did the survey, uh, which, again, people can go to at askfrankandgeorge.com, someone named Vincent wrote, I've read this book a few years ago before Viola was joined by Barna. And, of course, he's referring to the first printing here. If what you write is true, this is a dangerous book, probably the most dangerous book out there on the subject of modern-day church. Not that this is a bad thing, may even be needed, but now that Barna has brought the book into the mainstream, my question is, says Vincent, what do the two of you ultimately desire to accomplish by publishing this book? What impact on local churches do you hope it will make, especially if you're saying that pastors shouldn't even be there?
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, we definitely believe in pastors, but not in the way that we have made out the pastoral office. Uh, And as I said before, the the New Testament envisions shepherds as being a very, very different ministry than uh, what we have on the earth today. You know, uh, Vincent uses the word dangerous, (laughs) the most dangerous book out there on the subject of the modern church, and in many ways that's true. Uh, Now, just to be a little tongue-in-cheek, I have a a friend who's an expert in uh, book reviews, and he is calling this book, the most dangerous book that people have never read, uh, (laughs) just because of the many reviews of people who have never read it. But having said that, we are, in fact, challenging the institutional church system. And um, if a person is invested in that system, whether they're invested financially or emotionally or psychologically, it is a dangerous read because we, in effect, dismantle, biblically and historically, many of the cherished and encased traditions that we Christians have held on to for many years. Uh, But my popcorn reaction to the question would be really simple. We want to see a revolution in the Christian faith that will eventually lead to making organic churches, just like we see in the New Testament, where Jesus Christ is central, where Jesus Christ is the head of that church, where Jesus Christ is displaying himself through those churches, we want to see churches like that as common and as acceptable as Protestant churches are today. And all for one reason, so that the absolute centrality, supremacy, and headship of Jesus Christ can be experienced by more Christians all across this globe. You know, it's interesting, Diane, but we have one million Christian adults that leave the institutional church every year. And a good portion of them are not leaving because they've lost their faith. They're leaving to preserve their faith, to quote one expert. They are wanting something deeper and richer and more real and authentic in their church life experience. And that's why we've written the book, and that's what we hope to see happening.
0: Yes. Wow. Well, and as people grapple with it, I think that it will happen. We trust that. The Holy Spirit is guiding this whole thing and guiding many, many people. Right. Um, another way we can make an impact on the culture is for men to be the best dads they can be. And another one of our sponsors for this edition of Books and Such is DIY Father. You know, moms have had coffee groups where they've shared their experiences with each other, so why not fathers? So DIY Father's think it's about time fathers take a more active role in the upbringing of our children. So if you're a brand new dad, experienced dad, or have just found out that you're going to be a dad, then you'll want to tune in to the International Dad Channel. It's hosted by the three directors of DIYFather.com, Scott, Stefan, and Eric, and on the show they present information, experiences, and news for fathers by fathers. Each week, the team discusses parenting-related topics from a male perspective or interviews activists in the field. Their common goal is to help men to become the better fathers by sharing insights, tips, and stories. So tune into internationaldad.com to listen to this inspiring show. In getting back to the church, Frank, in your book you show how so many of the ways we do church – Having a church building, the order of worship, the sermon, as we mentioned, having a pastor, dressing up, the way we do the music, tithing, baptism, the Lord's Supper, even Christian education. All these practices, the way we commonly do them, are not rooted in the Bible, but in pagan practices. And let me just say here, too, that, um, you know, if people who are listening will understand that we as Believing Christians also believe that the New Testament, uh, or the whole Bible rather, is, is authoritative, and so we do look to the New Testament uh, as the authority of what the church should be. And I just wanted to put that in because maybe people will say, "Well, so what about the Bible?" But that is the stance Absolutely. we come from. So that's why we think you know it's very important that we make sure the way we do church is rooted in the Bible. Uh, rather than uh, pagan practices. but And most people probably wouldn't think to question these practices, as I said before. But now my question is, why does it matter? Can't God work through culture and the way things have evolved, even if they are rooted more in pagan or, let's say, cultural practices?
1: Well, that's a great question. It really is. Um... And my answer would simply be this, that some pagan practices can certainly be redeemed without doubt. In fact, we state some of them in the book. Others, however, strike at the very heart of what the church is, and they have actually redefined the church. And uh, the reason why it matters is because some of these practices have turned the church of the living God into a business organization, Uh, and that violates what the Lord had intended from the very beginning. For example, one scholar said that when the Greeks got the gospel, they turned it into a philosophy. When the Romans got it, they turned it into a government. When the Europeans got it, they turned it into a culture. And when the Americans got it, they turned it into a business. And the end result is when we redefine the church like that, It warps Christians from growing spiritually, and it hurts the testimony that it's supposed to bear to the world. Uh, The church is called to reflect Jesus Christ to the world. It's also the environment for living the Christian life. And so consequently, when we adopt practices that violate the teachings of Jesus and the apostles, the church becomes another system of this world, and it hurts the testimony of Christ. And one of the results is that non-Christians who are attracted to Jesus – are turned off by the church. In addition, Christians do not grow properly. So those are some of the reasons why it really does matter.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it really is important. Well, before we wrap up, I want to make sure that everyone knows how to find out more information on Pagan Christianity, exploring the roots of our church practices, and the resources you make available. Again, if you have a question of your own and you want to hear the replay of the virtual book tour in which both Frank and George answered other questions than we answered today, you can go to askfrankandgeorge.com. And if you want to get the book, and again, I recommend you get more than one if you attend a church so you can discuss it with other people, go to net and you'll get a discount there on the books, especially if you order more than one. And you'll also get a study guide and sample chapters and even a bonus chapter. The authors have written a special chapter to help people understand more about what the church, as the Bible depicts it, could be. And they've written a very controversial book, needless to say, and they mean for it to spark a dialogue within the church, as we've discussed in this program. So I hope that those listening will be part of that dialogue by asking their questions and reading the book and discussing it with others. Frank, do you have any final words before we wrap up this conversation?
1: Sure. Uh, This would be to all the baseball fans listening. (laughs) I have never pitched for the major leagues, though I would have loved to. But I did pitch when I was in high school. So if you're confused as to... uh, who the Frank Viola is that's talking, uh, now you're clear. Uh, (laughs) Diane, I just want to let you know I really appreciate you having me on this podcast. It's been a real pleasure.
0: Well, thank you again, Frank Viola, for being my guest on Books and Such. And again, the book is Pagan Christianity, Exploring the Roots of Our Church Practices, by Frank Viola and George Barna. And you can find it at bookstores everywhere and online at www.paganchristianity.net.